2%. No, that's not the amount of charge that you have left on your phone. That's the average amount of trade, both imports and exports, that African countries conducted with each other between 2015 and 2017. 67%. That's the amount of trade European countries did with each other in that same time period. Asian countries, 61%. The Americas had 47% trade with each other. We had 2%. African countries on average traded more with Europe, Asia, and the Americas than we did with countries on our own continent. Now, in July 2019, 54 African countries signed the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. And the agreement is effective as of January 1st of this year, 2021. The purpose of the agreement is to encourage trade within Africa by lowering tariffs from goods and services across the continent. So in this episode, we discuss how we might have gotten to that 2% in the first place and what this trade agreement could mean for us if it's implemented. From Triple E Media, I'm Ramat Mohammed, and this is the backstory. So back then, before colonialism, there were at least two well-established trade routes in Africa. The first was the Trans-Saharan trade route. This route dominated trade across Northern Africa for over 800 years. This saw the movement of goods like gold, salt, ivory, cloth, beads, and even the movement of people across the Sahara to various parts of Northern Africa, such as Egypt. The trade epicenter that linked Sub-Saharan Africa to the Trans-Saharan trade route was the Mali Empire. Now, imagine you're a trade merchant in Eleife. That was part of the Oyo Empire at the time. You load up your boats with salt, horses, kola knots, ivory, cloth, and even slaves. You would then journey up the river Niger. Maybe you'd stop along the way to trade with smaller towns, but your main destination is Gao a key port in the Mali Empire that connects to the Trans-Saharan trade route. This was the major trading center for gold, copper, slaves and salt. Now there in Gao, you would meet other merchant traders from Kano, who arrived with cotton, indigo and leather. Indigo was a powder used to dye textiles to give it that royal blue color. Now, at this large trading town, goods would be exchanged and carried on caravans further up north through the Sahara.
Within the Sahara, they used camels to move across the desert. Yes, it's dry and hot, but it's relatively flat and easy to maneuver. But in the middle of the African continent is thick, dense forest, so trade was far more limited. Now the Trans-Saharan trade routes began to decline sometime around the early 1600s, and there are four major factors that led to the decline. Firstly, Europeans began to establish trading bases in West Africa. Secondly, the transatlantic slave trade began to grow. Now, Ilefe's location was strategic, not only because they had access to the river Niger and could connect to the Trans-Saharan trade routes. Ilefe was also near Benin and the Atlantic Ocean, which gave them a connection to the transatlantic slave trade. So these two factors, you know, the Europeans setting up trading bases and the growth of the transatlantic slave trade started to make Europeans very important trading partners for West Africa. The third factor, and perhaps the real blow to the Trans-Saharan trade route, was the war between Morocco and Mali in 1590. Basically, Morocco defeated the empire in Mali. At the time, Mali controlled the flow of goods like salt, gold, and other valuables along the trade routes. And remember, Gao is in Mali. So with Mali defeated, Gao's importance declined. Trade between Mali and the other parts of Northern Africa significantly declined. And since Nigeria's trade routes passed through Mali from the river Niger and Kano, we all felt the impact immediately. So we had to turn to new trade partners. Now the fourth factor that finally cemented the decline of the Trans-Saharan trade route and solidified Nigeria's partnership with Europe was the creation of national boundaries and nation states in Africa. And remember, the creation of national boundaries was happening across Africa at that time. The French, the British, the Portuguese and other European nations were all carving up and sharing pieces of Africa. At the same time they were doing this, they were also building railway lines to the interior, which allowed them to transport goods to the coast more easily. This obviously made trading with them a lot smoother. And in Nigeria's case, even after independence in 1960, we continued our trading partnerships with the United Kingdom. And of course, when oil came along, the countries that needed it the most were in the Western Hemisphere. To the industrialized nations, America and Europe, oil became everything. It powered industries, ships and planes, and gave birth to the motor car, symbol of Western prosperity. Cleaner than coal, easier to extract, simple to transport, oil was cheap. Nigeria joined OPEC, that's the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, which gave them access to the Western markets. And that's basically where we are today. Hmm. Thank you, Alex. Antonietta and Richard, we used to have a very active trans-Saharan trade route, but it's been over 200 years since that route has been active. So how do we plan to implement this African Continental Free Trade Agreement when our trade networks are rusty? Well, before we talk about the agreement, I think it's important for everyone to understand why we have it. 
the African Union has a big vision to create the United States of Africa by 2063. So this is one of the many steps that countries are taking to achieve that uh, vision. You know, the agreement has been work in progress since 2012. So in January 2012, the African Union adopted a decision to establish a continental free trade area by 2017. The agreement was eventually signed on the 21st of March 2018 in Kigali, the Rwandan capital. The advantages we gain by creating one African market will also benefit our trading partners around the world, and that is a good thing. At the same time, we will be in a better position to leverage our growing strength and unity to secure Africa's rightful interests in the international arena. This is not just a signing ceremony. Today's deliberations are critically important as we chart the next steps on our journey towards the Africa we want. But only 44 countries out of 55 signed the trade agreement. Both Nigeria and South Africa, which are Africa's largest economies, did not sign the trade agreement at that time. Now remember, the purpose of the agreement is to improve trading between African countries by removing or reducing barriers to trade. Well, first of all, let's understand that there are two ways that nation states can create barriers to trade. One way is to impose high tariffs or taxes on goods that are imported into the country. For example, Nigeria places high taxes on alcohol and tobacco. 75% on imported alcohol and 95% on imported tobacco products. Another way to create a trade barrier is to give certain advantages to local producers and create non-tariff barriers for competitors. So, for example, the government can place restrictions or bans on certain products to make it easy for local producers to access the market, like Nigeria has a ban on imported rice. And governments typically use these tariffs and non-tariff barriers to protect local producers. Trade unions are especially powerful in influencing governments to implement these barriers. Now, the African Trade Agreement requires members to remove or significantly lower tariff and non-tariff barriers. In response to this, the Nigeria Labour Congress, which is Nigeria's umbrella organization for trade unions, said, we have no doubt this policy initiative will spell the death knell of the Nigerian economy. Accordingly, we urge Mr. President not to sign this agreement, either in Kigali or anywhere. We believe our national interest is at stake and nothing should be done to compromise this. Now, why should this agreement compromise our national interest? Our national interest is to grow our economy and also provide more jobs in the long term. But how is reducing tariffs on imported products going to provide jobs? It will only make it easier for other countries to bring their goods in, especially if their goods are cheaper to make. For example, in a country where they don't have to worry about the cost of diesel to power their machines, maybe they can spend less to produce shoes. But here, we have to take in the cost of diesel, so our products have to cost higher. How are we supposed to compete? How do we hire people to create shoes that no one will buy? 
Well, you are right. No one will buy more expensive shoes. So we have to figure out how to produce shoes at lower costs. How do we do that when there is no electricity, when fuel prices are so high? You are also right. We need to solve the electricity issue. And this may be the pressure we need to finally do it. We can invest in solar power. That is, instead of using power to provide electricity at homes, we move homes to solar power. Now, we take the power from the national grid and shift it to provide electricity to industries. And we are already seeing the federal government take steps to do this. In December 2020, this day newspaper reported that the government would invest $1.1 million to boost solar power in rural areas. Investments like this should free up the grid to allow us to power industries. And I agree that investments like that will help in the long run. In the long run, we will have a level playing field. In the long run, the cost of goods made should be the same across every country. But that's not true right now. And another thing, if we implement this now, we would be losing so much revenue from customs. Now, customs is the government agency that basically regulates what can go in and out of the country. And they collect tariffs or taxes on goods leaving and entering. And the estimated revenue from customs in 2020 is 1.5 trillion naira. That's over 10% of our 2021 budget. Are we going to lose all of that revenue? How will we make up for it? Well, I don't think that 1.5 trillion is from other African countries. According to OEC, most of our imports today are actually not from African countries. In 2018, 97% of our imports were from non-African countries, and we will continue to collect tariffs from those countries. So we probably won't be losing much in revenue from customs. I agree. We won't be losing much since we're not collecting much from other African countries. But that's potential revenue we won't be gaining either. So, the amount of jobs we would create may still outweigh the potential loss of custom tariffs. Africa has a huge population of young people. Over 60% of Africa's population are under the age of 25. That's 720 million. We need to provide jobs for 720 million people. Now, the point is, by lowering tariffs and allowing the movement of goods, we will create an environment of competition. Okay, you say that Africans will prefer to buy goods based on price. The lower the price of goods, the more competitive it is. How are we going to produce goods at lower cost if we don't have manufacturing? The trade agreement will open up manufacturing and manufacturing will in turn provide jobs. Right now, Africa is focused mostly on extractive minerals and those industries are not labor intensive because they can't create a lot of jobs. Think about it. How many people can you hire to mine gold or even oil? Not that many. But how many people can you employ to manufacture shoes? Thousands of them. And you need people to move these shoes around the continent. So by creating an environment of competition, it will force us to create manufacturing processes. That's great, Richard. It's a fantastic plan in the long run. But... With what electricity? So you agree then? It's a good plan? Yes, it's a good plan because it unites the continent. It gets us back to the internal trading Alex mentioned earlier, and it makes us more competitive globally. So in the long run, yes, it's a really good plan. But if this agreement is about trade in the short term, 
then Nigeria is not ready. And we may lose jobs because of it. We simply will not be able to compete with other countries who can produce goods at lower costs. Let us prioritize electricity and more affordable fuel first, then a trade agreement. Hmm. So, Anthony, is that why we hesitated to sign the agreement? Yes, we hesitated. Vanguard newspaper reported that on the day the president's delegation were set to go to sign, in fact, they were on their way and they had to be called back. So we didn't sign right away in March of 2018. But after analyses and discussions with internal stakeholders, we finally signed on the 7th of July, 2019. But if you read the agreement, it still gives opportunities for countries to protect critical industries like agriculture and textiles. Assuming we can fix the issue of electricity, this trade agreement is actually really good. As Richard said, it's a way for us to start to build manufacturing capabilities. Mm, okay, thank you, Richard and Antonietta. Alex, this agreement, is it going to revive the Trans-Saharan trade route? Well, according to the Stanford Center for International Development, agreements like this work best for partners that already have a history of trade and networks that have already been established. So in a way, yes, this agreement should revitalize trade between Nigeria and the Sahel countries. We are already seeing moves by our federal government that confirm this. For example, Naira Metrics reported in November 2019 that a special fund had been set aside for the reconstruction of the Trans-Saharan Highway, expected to connect Lagos with Algiers, that's the capital of Algeria. In October 2020, Lai Mohamed, the Minister of Information and Culture, stated that the federal government has approved the extension of rail and road construction from Lagos, Kano and Katsina to the Republic of Niger for trade and economic benefits. So we're already seeing the route coming back to life. But remember, one of the reasons it died in the first place was due to insecurity as a result of the war between Mali and Morocco and we're seeing a rise of insecurity again in that area. Having roads and railways connecting our economies is a great start, especially if it leads to more jobs here in Nigeria. But who will secure these roads? Our job at Triple E Media is to present to you all sides of an issue, or as many sides as we can in about 20 to 30 minutes. But we stand firmly in support of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. Every country or region that has developed has done so by providing goods and services to another country or region. And usually they do this at much cheaper rates. The U.S. provided cheaper goods to Europe. China provided cheaper goods to the U.S., and in both cases, manufacturing was the key to lowering the cost of production and increasing the volume. We have a market of 1.2 billion people today. And by the way, that market is expected to double to 2.4 billion by the year 2050. If you look at this trade agreement as just a trade agreement, you're going to be scared. 
Just like Antonietta said, Nigeria is not quite ready to have our markets flooded with cheaper goods, especially when we are not in a position to reciprocate. But if you look at this trade agreement not as a trade agreement, but as the pressure that we need to bootstrap our manufacturing processes, then you will be as excited about it as I am. Take Nangote, for example. He knows that he can't sell his cement at the same price in the Democratic Republic of Congo. But now that he has access to that market, he has incentive to produce his product at lower cost. So he'll invest in research and whatever it takes to build innovative manufacturing and distribution processes that will allow him to serve the people of the DRC. And that's what this trade agreement is about. It's the incentive we need to innovate, to build industries that can hire 720 million young people. Now, I'm not naive to the risks of this agreement. There will be conflicts. There will be turf wars as competition starts to heat up. There is definitely a risk of increased nationalism and maybe even tribalism across countries. There will be more security challenges. And with the easy movement of goods and people, there will be more diseases that spread. So it's not all going to be rosy in the beginning. The long-term benefits and long-term vision of a United States of Africa outweighs those risks. But we do need to manage those risks. We need to integrate our security infrastructure both within our own individual countries and across major ports of trade across countries. And we need to invest right now in vaccine development research and vaccine manufacturing centers. With the flow of goods and people will come the flow of new diseases. Let's prepare now so that we'll be ready later. The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions. Production copyright 2021 by Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, give us feedback. Subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Visit our website at 234audio.com and download our 234 Audio app. Episodes of this podcast can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. This episode was made by... Alexandra Gekpe, Richard Anyebe, Antonietta Kalunta, Dominic Tabakaji, Sam Tabakaji, and Nico Rivers. Special thanks to John Iwodi, Stanley Bentu, Malaiwa Bado Ikaleku, and Rabia Hadeja. I'm Ramat Mohammed. See you next week. <laughs>